Hey, this is Matthew Lilly. Welcome to the Presence Pioneers podcast. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have special guest R.A. Martinez with us today. He is the founder of MAPS Global, a prayer, worship, and missions movement that's taking God's presence and the gospel to unreached people groups. He's the author of a book called The Joseph Journey that just released recently, and so we're excited to talk to him about that. The subtitle of the book is What Every Pioneer Needs to Know. This is the Presence Pioneers podcast, so you are, you are going to love it. Uh, if you're new to the podcast today, welcome. We are all about equipping Presence-centered communities to worship and pray night and day, and so we want to be a resource to you if you're a worshiper, an intercessor, a leader, if you're connected with a house of prayer or a burn furnace or a praying church. We want to be a resource to you to help you and strengthen you in your journey of worship and prayer. Please subscribe if you're not yet so that you can stay tuned with us as we share Bible teachings and interviews and conversations with you to help you as we move forward. Thanks again for joining today. Well, welcome to the podcast, R.A. Martinez. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. So um, before we get into your new book, which I'm really excited about, and some yeah. of your amazing ministry with Maps Global, uh, I also, I want to ask you about a song. You're a songwriter and a worship leader too. You wrote a, you wrote a little song some years ago called Oh Mighty Ones, which yes. my kids, my kids affectionately call it, come on and bless him. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> it's a huge okay. hit with kids. <laughs> <laughs> they love it. Yeah. They love it, man. And so we danced around to that song and, and worship, worship Lord together. I know it got a little bit of traction. Some people might know that song. So yeah, before we dive in, maybe give us the story behind your song, Almighty Ones. That would be fun. There, yeah. So, well, first of all, thank you for saying that. And uh, Almighty Ones is kind of a, it's just a funny thing. I it, It's still circling the, I mean, I just got another thing about it like a couple of days ago. I wrote that song 10 years ago, I think. Wow. Uh, maybe yeah. 11 years ago. And uh, like I said, it's a huge hit with kids, I always say that kids are a litmus test of authenticity. Uh, if, if kids can worship to it, then there's something authentic yeah. about it. And when our worship's too complicated for our kids, I think we have a problem, but right. I wrote that song in the prayer room in 2009, 2010, somewhere around there when we first launched the house of prayer. And, uh, when David Bradshaw, who uh, is the president of ATD, you guys know him pretty well him and I launched the house of prayer in Fredericksburg and we just in our prayer sets in our prayer room. If I remember right, you know, nostalgia is always a generous editor, you know, but, yeah. uh, but if I remember correctly, it was just a, a midday, like a noon prayer set and we were praying and the whole thing kind of came out spontaneously as it pretty much as it is recorded. I, really? Uh, yeah, there was, I think I was, at the time, meditating on uh, on Psalm 103, which is what the song's out of, and uh, and probably sitting in the prayer room thinking about Psalm 103, and then got up and just started playing that chord progression. If you notice, if you ever heard the song, you noticed it's not very complicated, but because it really just came out of like two or three chords. 
And so we started singing, bless the Lord, Almighty Ones. And, and then we got to this minor key. And this, I think this is probably the most quote unquote famous part of the song. When I move my body, when I move my feet, yeah. uh, when I open my mouth, the darkness flees. And we just went to this minor chord. And when we went to it and started, and started singing, it was like the room exploded. I don't know how to else to describe it. And so we kind of captured that. And then it just became an anthem for us for probably about two or three years. Just we would sing it all the time. It was just our our family, our little community there in Fredericksburg would sing this song. And every time we sang it, it was just energy and presence on it. And so actually someone who was kind of really uh, integral in the in the storyline was was two people. One, the person who really, if we're going to give credit, the person who really made it popular which was Catherine Mullins, my friend Catherine right. Mullins. At the she, ramp, right? Yeah, she was at the ramp at the time. Yeah. And she had heard it. And she's a hundred times more anointed than I am. And uh, and so she started singing it. And that's when it really, that's when people started really taking uh, interest in the song when she started singing it. But another person who really was an encouragement about this song was a, a kind of an OG in the worship movement back in the day uh, from Tennessee and his name is escaping me right now. I can't remember it, but he was the, he was the guy who uh, had all the teaching on the science of worship and prophetic worship. And um, man, I can't remember. Uh, Ray Hughes. Maybe, yes. Or? Ray. I was going to call him Rick. Yeah, yeah. Ray Hughes. Yes. Who, um, who came through one time and heard the song. And he said, he said, you've, you've got to preserve whatever's in the song because what it was doing was capturing the sound and more the worship culture of our community at the time. Right. And, uh, and it's a little bit of a bizarre song, even like if you've seen the video or the heard the song, it's kind of a mixture between like bluegrass with a little bit like of a metal rift in there with a little bit. It's just strange. Anyways, we wrote it, recorded it a couple years later. And then it just, the thing keeps circling around about every three or four months, somebody else records it. And, or somebody sends me a YouTube and they're singing in Australia or Germany or California. And it just, it's the song that never quits. It really is. <laughs> hey, <that's laughs> it's awesome. not, well, in my opinion, it's not even the best song I've written. It's that's just, probably it, the way it always works. Yeah. It's just you know. got God on it. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure that's the way. I mean, John Mark McMillan probably wishes it was something other than how he loves. That was his song that went all around the world, but that's <laughs> that, but that that's, song will, will never die. That's all. It's a great song. Uh, and, uh, but your song's great too, man. It, Thank I've you. let it, I've let it and we've, we've sung it and danced to it all over the North Carolina. It's, it's fun. So, well, you are now leading maps global, yeah, which is a missions organization. I know it's focused on unreached people groups. You're right. rooted in worship and prayer. So maybe right. let's start there. Let us know, like, what are you up to nowadays? What's Perfect. So, yeah. So we got into, so Maps Global came out of those years, this kind of same years that we were talking about Almighty Ones, where we were just a raw, mostly young adult, but a raw young adult community, worship and prayer and presence. And we just would just pray these prayers over and over, not knowing or not fully anticipating in what kind of trouble it would get us into, you know? And we would pray these prayers like, God, give us your heart. Like, give us your heart. We want to be with you where you are. And we had an idea of how God would answer that, right? It it was fitted nicely into our kind of like 
America Revival box. And he was like, actually, actually, I'm, I am thinking about revival in America, but I'm also thinking about revival in nations that you never heard of. And, uh, and I'm thinking about uh, peoples and places and nations that you haven't even considered before. And, and so I've told the story a number of times, but uh, what, what got it into maps as it is now is I had an encounter with the Lord in, in uh, 2011. I heard the audible voice of God and I had a dream that showed me uh, a few different events that would take place uh, in one of the largest unreached nations in the world, um, unreached Muslim nations in the world. And I woke up from this encounter with the audible voice of God with this like headline news. And I was so confused. I, I just went, Lord, what are you talking about? Like, and I've never even heard of this place before. And he, the question he asked me was, who will build the house of prayer in this nation? And so I walked away from that just going, okay, I need to go back to the Bible and to all of these assumptions I've made about how our prayers are going to get answered. Because I thought they would just be about, you know, again, revival in our city or just God touching college campuses. And he's going to do that, but he's going to do so much more than that because we started to come across these passages like Malachi 1.1.1, you know, which... We had said maybe a thousand times, but our our scope and scale and perspective of what that meant was so small compared to the the global reality of that verse, you know. Right. And we thought we thought instance in every place meant a few cities around here in some burns, you know, and some college campuses. And and Jesus is going, no, I'm going to have it actually in every nation, in every tribe, tongue, and people, including those that have not even heard the gospel yet. I'm going to get incense out of it. And, uh, and then Matthew 24, 14 was the clincher for us because those words are in red, you know, they're like, they're going to happen. And Jesus said, share that with us real quick. Yeah. 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 Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be the maybe, but will be proclaimed in all the earth as a witness to every ethnos and then the end will come. And so we just started to realize that. Malachi one 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 incense in every place for those you, you your listeners that that are familiar with prayer and worship probably know Malachi one eleven pretty well, right? But, but Malachi one eleven incense in every place and Matthew twenty four fourteen gospel in every place we realized was the same movement. It was the it was the proclamation of the gospel that would be carried on the wings of prayer and worship to produce a worship movement in every nation of the earth. As John Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't, right? And so this just started to churn in our small little community. And that led us to, uh, 2014 was really the clincher where we went into, we sent a team to uh, one of the nations we're working in now, which I can't say if you're going to put this on YouTube, so I'm being kind of cryptic, sorry. But That's fine. Um, but we also went into northern Iraq uh, in 2014, about two months after the Islamic State invaded the region. And we did, which you guys are super familiar with. Um, it's kind of nice to talk to people that like know the lingo. I've been on all these interviews where I have to explain what a burn is, you know. Right. But uh, we went in uh, in 2014 and we did 50 hours of nonstop prayer and worship in northern Iraq, right in the middle of the invasion. In fact, the uh, the battle lines were about five miles outside the city at that point. And uh, we went in and did this 50 hours and the glory of God just fell in this little church in Northern Iraq. I'm, I know you've heard some of the stories from some oh, of yeah. 
uh, it, that launched the house of prayer that's been going to this day. And that's mostly indigenous, incredible. And what, so what happened was the house of prayer is established. Then the gospel fruit started to break out everywhere around it. And we would start to hear the story, uh, which then was started to be replicated in all these other nations. So they would say before daily prayer and worship, uh, was established, we would try relational evangelism. We would try street evangelism. We would try power evangelism. We would try apologetics. We would try debate. We try everything. And no one was interested in even having the conversation. Then after the house of prayer was established and daily prayer and worship started changing the atmosphere, they would say, and they, to this day, they say at least once a week, a family calls us with an encounter that they've had with Jesus. Someone walks that's into amazing. the prayer room and gets saved. Uh, and that's happening. That ha- started happening in Iraq. And then it started spilling over into a number of these different nations that we now have bases and houses of prayer in. And so we walked back. And then the third thing that happened in Iraq was house of prayer, gospel fruit, and then the geopolitical situation shifted in about three years. And God told us that before we went into Iraq, he said, if you build an altar of prayer and worship in Northern Iraq, he said, I will tear down the stronghold of ISIS is what he told us, which is like it. When he said that to us, we were like, no, like this is not what we signed up for. Like find someone else. Lord, here am I send someone else. You know, like, yeah. it, it was really like, we're kind of used to it now. Let's see. It's about six years later. ISIS doesn't carry the same terror that it did, you know, in that moment. But oh my gosh, it was so scary. Like, I don't want to pretend that we were like, oh, like we're, you know, we're, we weren't Navy SEAL intercessors. That's not what was happening. We yeah. were just weak and willing and scared out of our minds. But we knew that the presence of God was more powerful than anything we were going to encounter. And so when we went in there, the glory of God fell, healing, salvation, deliverance right there on the spot, launched the house of prayer, gospel fruit started breaking out everywhere. And then within three years, ISIS was completely removed from the region. And, uh, and so we came back from that. I'm giving you kind of the birth story of maps. We came yeah. back from that. And I said, whatever, whatever that is, because there wasn't a lot of language, even six, seven, eight years ago, there wasn't a lot of language between the marriage of frontier missions with prayer and worship. It was still very much being formed. Um, And so I said, whatever that is, we're going to train and send singing, praying, preaching missionaries to do that, to put the presence of God right in the middle of unreached people groups in the middle of conflict zones and let God do what he does best, change everything. And so the last seven, six, seven years has been that journey of us growing from a little school that trains, um, trains teams to go in the Middle East to now a global family of a number of houses of prayer across the nations. And we're watching the same story that happened in Iraq start to happen in all over the Middle East and Jordan and in all these different countries. And, and so, and then we've just been going back and strengthening our bases with these 50 hour prayer meetings and these hundred hour prayer meetings and Many of yeah. our mutual friends have been involved in that. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. So now, so now we're here six, six years later and uh, our school is just getting filled up. In fact, we have about 17, 18, 19 students coming in in just a few weeks and they will train for one semester here and then they'll go into the Middle East for 90 days and then they'll come back and onboard for two years. 
And that's how we're filling up the houses of prayer in the Middle East. And then we've moved our headquarters down to Richmond, Virginia is where we're at now. Um, gotcha. And we adopted the house of prayer here called Rye Hop. And uh, so we're running our Frontier Missions School, the house of prayer here at Rye Hop, uh, which just finished a season of 24-7. We went Come on. 24-7 for about three and a half months from March to June. Wow. It's amazing. In the midst of COVID. <laughs> it, it's a whole crazy story in and of itself. I'll tell you if you're interested, but yeah, in the midst of COVID, we went 24 seven and then we have our, our family church gathering here on Sunday morning. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been a, a crazy so cool. ride. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. That's awesome, man. Well, uh, I'm going to kind of bring up a story. I think the first time I, heard you speak or was aware of who you were, you probably don't even know this, but it was a conference that was happening in Virginia Beach that Greg Burnett was hosting at a house of prayer. This was, I don't remember how, how many years ago this would have been 2012 or 11 or something like that. And, and I heard you speak. I knew Greg through some mutual friends because he used to be in, in Charlotte. And right. I heard you share was amazing. I remember that stirred my heart, and and that's how I heard about Fredericksburg, which ended up ended up going up there for you guys when you hosted the call. It was the first time I went up to Fredericksburg and got connected yeah. with you guys up there. But um, anyway, I bring that up just for the first for sake of history. But what's interesting is I was thinking about your new book. Uh, if maybe we could transition to that, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got a copy here, the Joseph Journey: What Every Pioneer Needs to Know. And I was—I haven't read through it yet because I just got it literally, but I, I was skimming through it and kind of getting the gist of, of, of what it's about. And Greg Burnett, who invited me to this conference where you spoke, he recommended a book to me years ago called *The Making of a Leader* by Robert Clinton, which yeah, is yeah, Robert a, J. Clinton. That's right. Which is which is a which was a really impactful book for me as a young leader in my twenties on helping me navigate the seasons of leadership. And the development that that would have to go through, because I'm, of course, young leader, lots of vision, lots of desires, dreams in my heart, and I'm not seeing them. And I'm at a city with a house of prayer and nobody's showing up. And and I'm in this moment and it's like, what am I doing? And that book really helped put my season in perspective. And I thought it was kind of cool that I'm guessing that your book would probably do something similar using the story of Joseph of helping putting some things in perspective for people. And, uh, and so... Anyway, that sort of is a point of intro. Tell us about the book, man. How did this come about and why did you decide to write The Joseph Journey? Totally. Well, I just think that's so funny. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but the my first quote in the introduction is from Robert J. Clinton right there in the oh, making. Oh, wow. I totally movie. missed that. Look at that. <laughs> it's, <laughs> On, that's amazing. It's great when we find ourselves in God's leadership program. Yes, and, uh, that's amazing. That's I thought you were referencing that because you saw it in the book. That's so funny. No, I missed that. I actually, I, I recommended the making of a leader book to somebody just like in the past week, a uh, young leader who was, you know, in, a, in an early season of their, their leadership and I thought it'd be helpful. So, Hey guys, this is Matthew. We'll get back to the episode in just a moment. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider joining Presence Pioneers Premium our brand new subscriber community. Paid subscribers will get exclusive premium content such as bonus podcast episodes, exclusive articles, early releases, and more. Presence Pioneers will be releasing its first e-course in 2024 with many more to come. 
and the Presence Pioneers premium subscribers will always have full access to the entire library of online courses. Visit media.presencepioneers.org or click the link in the description to join today. You can become a premium member today for an introductory price of only $5 a month. When the price goes up in the future, as our library of resources grows, you can stay subscribed at the original price. If you've enjoyed our podcast for a while, becoming a premium member is a simple way for you to help us cover the cost of producing this podcast and partner with Presence Pioneers in equipping the church with resources for day and night prayer, prophetic worship, missions, and revival. Visit media.presencepioneers.org to sign up today. Yeah, so I've been looking at the life of Joseph for the better part of a decade now because the Lord led me into looking at his life because I was trying to fill in the gaps in the development, the very human dynamic and the development part of what we would refer to and what's kind of been known in our streams as the forerunner ministry, kind of embodied by John the Baptist. He's the poster child, right, for the forerunner ministry. And those that would be sent ahead of the activity of God in their generation to prepare the way and to announce uh, what God is doing and to ultimately the generation that would embody the same kind of ministry of John the Baptist would be the generation of the Lord's return that would announce the second coming of Jesus like John announced the first. That's all awesome. Like I bought into that when I was 19 years old, right? I said, give me that, Lord. I want to be someone that's, that's living before you in such a way that I've got clarity on the times and the seasons and I want to be a part of announcing your return to the earth. The problem with that message that I found is that Luke chapter 1, we have the birth of John the Baptist, right? Luke chapter 3, he's preaching in the wilderness, and we miss about 30 years of development. Wow. And we have no idea. And, And honestly, most of what we've referenced about John's life is speculative. We don't really know. We just know he was in the wilderness. That's all we know. And so I think what the fruit of some of that was that we knew how to get people uh, really envisioned for that message, that prophetic mandate. Uh, But we didn't really know how to develop them into leaders who could carry the weight of that kind of ministry and understand the process of development. And so you had a whole lot of people signing up for this forerunner prophetic worship house of prayer thing, but they did not anticipate the journey that they were about to go on. And many, many, many in just a few years found themselves disillusioned, discouraged, not not in clarity, and actually left and went on to do other things because they didn't understand the process that God was going to take them through in order to form that kind of leader. So early on, I was reading through Psalms and I came across Psalm 105. And Psalm 105 is the psalmist recalling the works of God in the history of Israel. It's a really cool psalm. It's a a song about history. And he gets to uh, the life of Joseph. And verse 16, it says, When God summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph. 
who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in the collar of iron until what God had said had came to pass. And the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent, released him. Rulers of the people set him free, made him lord over his house, ruler of his possessions to bind his princes of pleasure, teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham and the Lord made his people very fruitful. And so what I saw in these six verses was that when God has determined to send send men and women ahead of his activity, there's actually a process of formation he takes them through to prepare them to carry the weight of those assignments. And those and that process doesn't just include promotion, it also includes pits and prisons. Uh, and, and how God forms us over the span of decades, not just in the, in the span of months, to carry the weight forward transition. And when I looked at Joseph's life in terms of the, he's set apart at a young, at a young age, 17, with this vision for leadership. And that's all real God, really God tells him in these couple of dreams is, hey, you're going give, to give leadership. You're going to be a leader. And that's what he, his heart signs up for. But he could have never imagined where he would walk out that leadership assignment in a foreign nation under a foreign king after 13 years of pits and prisons just to get to the moment where he's ready to carry the assignment for another 14 years. And uh, he could have never imagined any of it. And, uh, and that's why he had to go on the formative process over seven seasons. And that's what I write about in the book are these seven distinct seasons of development in the life of Joseph as a prototype for the developmental process of how God trains pioneering leaders. And so I just walk through each of those seasons in the Joseph's life, uh, in Joseph's life, yeah. because I believe that God's raising up men and women right now for things that are ahead on his prophetic calendar in 10, 20 years. I really yeah. do believe that. Yeah. And just as God visited Joseph and took him on that that formative journey to get him to a place where he had the character, the wisdom, the skill set, the anointing, the humility, everything he needed to give leadership. So God is right now walking on a journey with many, many, many men and women that he's forming them. A lot of them might not even know they're, they're on that journey. They might have just said like Joseph, yes, to the big vision. And now all of a sudden they're in a, their life is going in a different direction than they expected it to. And if we don't know God's ways and how he forms us and trains us, then we get discouraged and disillusioned uh, on the journey. As soon as mistreatment comes, we get discouraged. Or as soon as he puts us in someone else's house and we're serving there instead of our own, we get discouraged. You know, all of those things are all necessary to get us to the point where we can carry the assignment, uh, the weight of the assignment that God has on our life. So I, I saw, in short, I saw Joseph as the gap between Luke 1 and Luke 3 on how God develops those pioneers of those forerunners. Yeah, uh, that's so good. So I, yeah, so I wrote this book. That's amazing. I was actually, I have this daily Bible reading plan that I go through, and Psalm 105 was my was the psalm that I read just this morning. So that's that's kind of kind of cool. So well, it's, a, know, it's it, yeah, it's fascinating too because. Looking back, the psalmist looking back goes, God sent a man ahead, not just for himself, for his own prophetic destiny, but to preserve nations in the hour of a transition. Like, that's really important. 
And that transition, yeah. And so Joseph, Joseph was at, at the beginning just thinking about like his own dream and his own vision, but God was thinking about the destiny of nations and peoples. And, uh, and that's why his journey is so intense because God had to get him out of me world into I'm here to serve the people of God and the nations and lay down my life for them. And, and just wow. in the same way, like we have to understand the significance of the moment that Joseph was raised up in because when Joseph steps up to Pharaoh and says, here's the interpretation of the dream and Pharaoh goes, that's a great idea. Why don't you do it? And Joe, you know, it's like, you can show me better than you can tell me. And Pharaoh hands over the keys. Joseph is taking the reins, not on Egypt of that day was not the geopolitical nation in North Africa. Egypt was the known world. It was the largest kingdom on earth. It was the known world at the time. It encompassed all of North Africa, most of the Mediterranean and the modern day Middle East. He was taking the reins over leadership over the kingdom and millions of lives were at stake in that moment. Millions of lives were at stake. And Joseph needed to have, that's why his journey again is so intense because it's not just about him fulfilling his dream. It's about him being responsible for millions of people. And so in the same way, and, and also for the transition of Israel into Egypt, which ultimately brings them into the next stage of the prophetic history. And so you have arguably, and you know, I don't want to be like hyperbolic about this, but arguably you have the, the, the destiny of millions of people at stake, but you also have the, the destiny of the world at stake with Israel's transition, you know? And so in the same way, what I begin to see was in the same way, there's transition in the earth right now. 2020's transition is happening. And it's not just yeah. the next decade will be marked by transition. And in the same way, God is raising up men and women that are going to step into moments of leadership and influence and, and thousands, hundreds, thousands and millions of lives will be at stake in the nations because things are shifting around. And Jesus said that the greatest revival in the earth is coming. You know, Acts 2, Peter says that the, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh. Like that yeah. outpouring is still ahead for the church. That's millions of people are going to get uh, anointed with power from on high and come out of this global upper room of prayer and worship with, with a spirit of prophecy on their lives. That, that's coming to the earth. Yeah. Two, Matthew 24, 14, the Great Commission is going to be fulfilled. Like that's not going to be a hanging, kind of hanging out there. Jesus is going to do it which means we're going to see the largest explosion of laborers and missionaries that the world has ever seen in the next 10, 20 years, because 42% of the earth is still considered unreached. Wow. That is just think about this for a minute, Matt, Matthew, if 42%, according to most missiologists, 42%, about 7,000 unreached people groups, that's, that's tribes and families without a witness of the gospel. If 42% are unreached, that means that if we are approaching the hour where every nation hears the gospel and Jesus returns to the planet, that means in the next 10, 20, 30 years, we're going to see, we're going to see a historic apostolic missions movement that will rival what the church has accomplished since Acts chapter one combined. 
Come on. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, oh yeah. Since Acts one to now, we've reached about fifty eight percent of the Earth, and in the next couple decades, the other forty two percent is. Do you understand? Something is about to happen that's going to explode across the Earth. So you have great revival, great commission, and then Jesus does not pull any punches. He says Matthew twenty four, verse. 23 i believe it's it's 21 23 he says and in that same hour the greatest trouble that's ever touched the earth is coming so you got great revival great commission great trouble that's all going to touch the earth in one two three decades yeah you better believe that if if God took Joseph to this formative journey to get him to a place where Egypt, he could steward Egypt and Israel in the time of crisis and the time of fruitfulness, for sure he is right now raising up men and women. Their lives aren't making sense to them right now. They're just like trying to figure out how it all fits together. And Jesus is going, you know, stay on the Joseph journey because I'm preparing you to carry the weight of assignments that you haven't even considered yet. And it has to do with the destiny of nations. It has to do with the destiny of neighborhoods. It has to do with people that God is wanting to to give leadership to. He's raising up shepherds and leaders who can lead people through great revival, great commission, great crisis. And so that's why it's not just a self-help. It's not just like a self-help book. It's not like, hey, you know, (laughs) I didn't write it for that. I I think those books are awesome. I read some of them like, okay, hey, let me develop a little bit. Now, this is a prophetic call to say God is in the process of interviewing men and women across the earth right now for leadership assignments that are in two, three decades. And you are being interviewed right now where you're at in whatever season you're in. God is interviewing right now. And if you say yes and pass the test, you have no idea where this is going. And uh, because the prophetic promises are real. So, yeah. That's so good, man. Sorry, I believe I that's. A, I, I did a preach. I'm sorry. I did. No, that's I great. I, I believe you're speaking directly to people that are that are listening and uh, and watching this that need to hear that. I mean, I talk yeah. to people all the time that have dreams in their hearts, they have have desire, they have vision in their heart, and they're in seasons. Going, I don't know why I'm in this season. It's not making sense. It's hard. I feel alone, etc. And it's the journey of the pioneer that, that God's taking them through. And I think understanding this journey that Jesus takes us through and Joseph, such a beautiful picture of that, I think is so helpful for people. So we've kind of talked about leaders and I think there's a lot of leaders that, that tune in with us, but is the book just for leaders or, I mean, is this for other people as well? I mean, this could be pioneering parents and (laughs) pioneering small group leaders. I mean, this isn't just, if you're the senior leader of some ministry or organization, I assume, right? That's exactly right. And and I made that point early in the book um, because the call to follow Jesus is the call to all, right? In Luke chapter 9, and he said to all, if anyone wants to come after me, he must first deny himself, pick up his cross daily and follow me. And just the Christian life in its essence is a pioneering life because we're following Jesus against the status quo. Right. But uh, but I think the book is most aptly uh, or most applicable to those that are really pursuing a a, a vision and a God sized dream on their lives. Uh, right. And leader, listen, when I say leader, I want to be clear because I think it can be a confusing term. I don't mean organizational leader. I mean someone who's carrying influence. Yeah. 
And leadership is influence. It's not just a position or a title. In fact, the one who has the most influence in an organization or a family or a church is the leader, no matter who has the title. And, um, and so I wrote this for people that are carrying influence on their life. And I, and I, I use the, the tree analogy that everyone is right now being formed by Jesus into a tree. Some of us are just saplings right now who can't carry the weight of much fruit. Some of us are being built out and God takes us through pruning and promotion to get us bigger and stronger. But we want to grow. I want people to grow into trees where healthy things can grow up under their shade, whether that's your children at home, whether that's people in your in your job, whether that's a small group, whether that's a church, whether that's an organization, leadership is influence. And so when I say God forming pioneering leaders, I mean those influencers. Yeah. Some will carry positional titles, but not everyone is. If everyone was trying to start their own deal and lead their own ministry, it wouldn't work. And, uh, right. and I think there's some confusion around that, especially in our world where if, uh, if you get a God-sized dream or a vision, it automatically means you need to pioneer your own thing. And it doesn't necessarily work that way. And, yeah. uh, but all that to say, the, I wrote the book for people who know that they know that they've got a God-sized assignment on their life. And to, I want to help them anticipate what the next decade is going to look like for them, uh, especially if they're going to go for the fullness of it. If they're going to say yes, and they're going to go, Jesus, I want to follow this through, then I want to help them to understand what's ahead so they can hold their hearts right uh, yeah. through the process. And uh, we've, in our world, again, you can appreciate this, we've, we've put a lot of energy and messaging into getting a God dream and dreaming with God and and the and that language, and I think it's not wrong per se, but when we tie our faith and our Christian life to to an expectation of what that dream will look like, that's where we get in trouble. Yeah. And it, and I think it's time for us to take a lot of that really positive uh, messaging that that's in some of our streams that some of the our you know fathers have carried about faith and dreaming with God and going for it and add to it, I want to hand this down to Gen Z and go dream with God, then prepare for the journey, you know? And so you, you don't just say yes to Jesus because you were promised he'll do your dream. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, we say yes to Jesus and then we allow him to birth things in us that he will use to shift neighborhoods and nations. And in the process, he will form the character and anointing wisdom, like I've already said. So that's yeah, why I wrote the so book. Is it's it's leadership development, but not in the classic sense of if you're going to be the CEO of this company. It's right. Everyone's going to give influence. The question is whether healthy things will grow under your tree or not. Yeah, and that's uh, good. and I think to the scope, the way we respond to the Lord's leadership on the journey will determine the scope and the scale of our leadership assignments. Right. I'm not, and I don't want to get into a debate here, but I'm not, uh, I don't believe in the idea that the gifts and callings, which in Romans 11 is about Israel, but the gifts and callings being irrevocable means no matter what we do, we're going to arrive at the end. I don't think that's true. I don't think you can look at that biblically and say that's true. I think, Maybe the calling and assignment 
you could make a case maybe is irrevocable, but the scope, the scale, and the and the what we carry when we get there is largely dependent on how we respond to the Lord as He develops us. We can't just kind of like do nothing and lay around and expect to care, be ready to carry leadership in ten years. It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, that that's. So true, man. This is so good. It, in light of that, we're, we're running out of time here. So give us yeah. maybe somebody is, if they're in that season that some of the early stages, and we didn't even get to go through the seven seasons you mentioned, but they can get the book and we'll link to that, of course, in the show notes. But, you know, if someone's in those early phases, how how do we handle our hearts and our lives? What are some good things to do and not do, you know, just a couple practical takeaways here for people that feel like they're in that tough season of their pioneering journey. Like, how can we respond rightly in those moments? Oh, yeah. I'll, okay, I'll give you three. Um, and in the early seasons, you're dealing with two things. Season one is is saying yes to the vision. That's the most exciting part of it is going, whoa, like, I'm going to, I got the prophetic word. I got the three ones that confirm it. I'm going to do this. That's awesome. Uh, my advice to you in that season is don't marry the, um, your imagination of what, what, it, what it will look like. Follow Jesus. Cause, cause it is a hundred percent guarantee. It is not going to look like you expect it. And so <laughs> say yes and faith, but don't marry the imagination because you have, you haven't even considered most likely it will be somewhere else with someone else that you haven't even thought about yet. So number one, we follow Jesus. We don't just follow opportunities. At the end of the day, we don't even follow our dreams. We follow Jesus. That's what we do. And, uh, and, and so that's, that would be my number one advice is when, as you're saying yes, if you're in the season where I call it the, the whirlwind, the prophetic whirlwind, and everything's confirming, just say yes to Jesus and move forward. Get excited, but don't try to, don't try to project what it's going to look like in 10 years. Just move forward and follow Jesus and be faithful. Number two, which is the second season, if you start to experience mistreatment, which you will, God will use mistreatment, perceived and real mistreatment in your life. Yeah. This one thing, I think this one thing will make or break you. Do not harbor bitterness and anger in your heart towards people that you perceive uh, have mistreated you. We've got to keep our hearts free from anger and bitterness if we're going to move forward. And I think this is the biggest thing that trips people up uh, from moving into the the next four seasons, uh, six seasons, or two and two, the next five seasons, is when they start to experience mistreatment or someone doesn't endorse them rightly or they don't get the time with the leader they wanted. They allow bitterness, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 is like a root to set in and it will, it'll steal, it'll, dis, it'll derail our destiny. And many, many people, they can't navigate their way through mistreatment and they end up stalling for decades in, mis- in, in, in bitterness and anger and just woundedness where it's everyone else's fault that I'm not doing what God uh, called me to do. And so I would just... I would just solemn warning to everyone listening as you're going through these seasons, you will be mistreated. How people respond to you and to, to your uh, assignment is not your responsibility, but how you hold your heart through mistreatment is 100% your responsibility. And, uh, I heard a leader say once you are the only one responsible for the condition of your heart. No one else is. When you stand before the Lord, 
at the judgment seat, you are the only one that will give an account for your heart. You can't point to anyone else. Only you can give an account for it. And so take responsibility to keep your heart free from bitterness, from accusation, respond in meekness, and trust yourself to the Father in seasons of mistreatment, and you'll move forward. Uh, and God will propel you forward. If not, you'll get stuck there. And I've seen so many waste a decade blaming someone or blaming that ministry that hurt them or blaming that. And they're just stalled out in their assignment because they can't let go of anger and bitterness. So hmm. as you just said that, that's the thing that the Holy Spirit just highlighted in my heart for someone needs to hear today that yeah. how you were treated might not have been right. It might have been wrong. But how you respond is up to you. And will you let it stall you out or derail you? Or will you extend forgiveness and love and and keep your heart free? War to keep our hearts free so that you can move forward. Because what God's shaping in you in seasons of mistreatment is a tender heart. So that when you're given leadership, you won't do the same thing to other people. That's good. It's critical. It's critical. And so... Um, so that's that that in the first you said the first couple of seasons those are the yeah. biggies don't marry the imagine the imagined uh, outcome and keep your heart free from anger and bitterness and you're well on your way uh, to fulfilling the assignment that's good and if you want the rest of the wisdom for the other seasons you can get the book <laughs> yeah it's really yeah. good i'm not gonna lie it's really really good i'm i'm excited to read it myself so man this has been so good thank you so much i feel like Man, I feel like it's going to be so helpful to the, f- the folks that are tuning in. Any last words before we finish up here? Yeah, I, I'll just say this. I, you know, as a word, because uh, you know, to our stream, you know, there is a lot going on, and and I just want to encourage people. There is much transitioning across the body of Christ, and there's much transitioning in the nations, and we just need to hold our hearts really steady through this um, because. People that we disagree with right now, we might be best friends with in about five, six years. And we got to be really careful to stay out of the camps and stay in the middle with Jesus and in in between the battle lines where the peacemakers are. And uh, I'm telling you, so much is turning over. And you, you, I'm sure that the leaders in, in, the, in the network here will, will understand, we're going to find people and leaders and in, in, in the next two, three years that are going to become tried for us that we haven't even considered yet because we've lived in small bubbles. And wow. so I want to encourage just as a prophetic thing, this is what we're talking about around here at our base is that there's going to be tribes that come out of this transitional 2020 season that are going to be people from networks and denominations and, uh, that we haven't even thought of yet. And all of a sudden we're going to go, Hey, we're actually family. And we're going to see the next decade, I believe marked by these, these kind of newly formed tribes come out in the body of Christ that, that have a lot of clarity. And what they're going to be doing is looking inwards and going, how do we, how do we build family and community around the prophetic promises and, and around the presence? And, uh, and you'll see that about to emerge, but my, my, my thing, my warning and my exhortation to our listeners is don't give up right now. Don't <laughs> give up. Don't check out and don't get angry because God is 
is turning over the tables and God is shifting things. And we got to get up into heaven's perspective on this right now and not lose our heart or our hope. And the fact that what we used to like be so anchored in is like crumbling or what we're, what we, the people that we felt so tried with in the last 10 years, we're kind of feeling like they're going in different directions. Don't worry. Jesus is a good leader. He's going to get his church into unity and into faith in the days ahead. And don't be surprised if you find yourselves getting connected into tribes that you just never would have considered. I'm telling you, we're in a generational shift right now. And the generals and the fathers are looking down and the next generation of leaders is coming up and it's going to look different. It always does. And 2020 is a moment of shift and it's going to look different for the next 10 years and 20 years, but Jesus is leading. So Come on. Don't give up. Don't get angry. Keep your heart tender and free and yeah. be open to the to the relational networks. Be open to the um, to the friends. Be open to churches that you never thought you would have partnered with before are going to start. You're going to start to come around, uh, come together around things that um, that you have clarity on. And so I can see that happening. I see whole new tribes uh, emerging in this next 10 years. So don't just try to stay like within the bubble that you were in. Like yeah. honor for sure, honor. Don't, but God's kind of bursting some bubbles for us, and we're finding we're going. Hey, I kind of like you over there. Like, wow, yeah. I never thought we would be doing stuff together. That's really cool. And and Jesus, <laughs> that. so yeah, just as a prophetic thing for you guys. Yeah, that's a great word. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate yeah. you being on. Yeah, I love what you do, Matthew. Appreciate yeah. you. Yeah. Well. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you share this with your friends. Uh, Send the link out, post it, and all of that kind of thing. Help us get the word out. Uh, If you're enjoying this on Apple, please leave a rating or review. That helps us. Give us a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. All those things help us just get the word out and, uh, and spread what God is doing. Be sure to subscribe if you have not done that. Yeah. Thank you guys again for tuning in. Don't forget that God's presence changes everything.